Well, thank you very much. And it's great to be uh, with you um, here again today. It's so encouraging to hear what's happening in this region, how the Lord's at work through the churches. It's great to be with you from a variety of churches around the area. And I hope you'll be encouraged both by being together and by hearing God's word um, uh, today. Well, as we uh, live um, uh, in uh, this country at this particular time, there's no doubt that it looks and feels as though we live in a Christless world. We've been uh, hearing the statistics, haven't we, in the UK as a whole, no more than about 3% of people are born-again believers in the Lord Jesus Christ who recognise him as Lord and seek to live for him. Here in your region of the country, no more than 0.4% of the people are born-again believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, The Lord Jesus um, is not known by the vast majority of people that we rub alongside um, in our communities, our workplaces, our schools. Uh, Those people do not honour the Lord Jesus Christ, and many of them are utterly uh, ignorant of him. Churches all around us are declining. The uh, Christian influence uh, in our society and in our culture is rapidly dissipating. It looks as though we live in a Christless world. And what do we need to do if we're going to meet the challenge of being in that Christless world? Well, there are some who say what we need to do is change the message of the gospel. That if we're to connect with people today, we basically need to be preaching a different gospel from the gospel we find in the Bible and proclaiming a different Christ. They say we've got to get real. People can't believe the Bible anymore. Uh, Attitudes have changed. We now live in a society in which gay relationships, same-sex marriage, are just regarded as normal and acceptable. So therefore, let's change the gospel message to be a message of acceptance no matter what you are, no matter how you live. That'll bring people back. There are others who say what we need to do is we need to change the culture of the church. Yes, we stick to the authentic biblical gospel, but what we need to do is we need to adjust the culture of the church so it can become more relevant and more contemporary, so that people can feel comfortable in coming to church. There may be some truth uh, in that. Others will say, no, what we actually need is we just need more training. What we need to be is we need to be skilled up in ministry, skilled up in evangelism, skilled up in sharing the Bible with people. And in that way, we'll be able to uh, meet the challenge. Again, there may be some truth in that. But it seems to me that what we need most of all, and what is the theme of our day today, is that we as God's people are filled by God's Holy Spirit. That is the great and the urgent need if we're to meet the challenge of the culture in which we find ourselves. Uh, we, uh, if we're filled Uh, with the Holy Spirit, then we will become a transformed church, a transformed community of God's people that will commend the gospel to the Christless world around us. And if we're filled with the Holy Spirit, then we will become bold in evangelism, proclaiming that gospel to a Christless world around us. Yes, there are other things we need. We need to make sure that the church is faithfully proclaiming the gospel, um, are connecting with the culture and contextualising the gospel, that we're trained and equipped for ministry. But above all, we need to be filled by God's Holy Spirit, because ultimately it is his work that is done. 
Now, you're already thinking, or I can imagine some of you are already thinking, this, therefore, is going to be a dangerously charismatic day. As soon as we start talking in that language, uh, alarm bells start ringing uh, everywhere. And that's because, tragically, over the last 40 years, few issues have become more controversial than that of the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And Christians have become divided. Um, With the rise of the charismatic movement, the attention got focused primarily on certain gifts, particularly the gift of tongues, the gift of prophecy, gifts of healing. And the great fault of the charismatic movement is that all too often it can focus on those um, sort of uh, unusual and extraordinary experiences. More conservative Christians have reacted against that by tending to downplay the person and work of the Spirit, almost in reaction to that wrong overemphasis. But the New Testament teaches us that the whole of the Christian life is to be lived in the Spirit. That is the very essence of how we are to live as Christians. Michael Horton, the um, American theologian, has just written a new book on the Holy Spirit. And in uh, his foreword, he he wants to say that that the main point of this book is to make clear that the Holy Spirit is not just for charismatics. Because actually the whole of the Christian life and the whole of Christian ministry must be done in dependence on the power and the work of the Spirit. That's true for salvation, for sanctification and for evangelism. So the New Testament tells us that the gift of the Holy Spirit to God's people is the great blessing of the New Covenant. Throughout the Old Testament, God promised that there would be a time in which he would make a new covenant with his people. And one of the key blessings of this new covenant is that he would pour his spirit out on them in a way that he had never done before in salvation history. That, of course, happened uh, when the spirit was poured out on the church on the day of Pentecost. And the apostles who write the New Testament speak of this great gift of the Spirit to God's people. And therefore it's unsurprising that they call the church, they call God's people to be filled with the Spirit. So we're going to be looking today at this call to be filled uh, with the Spirit. We're going to be thinking about what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit and how can we be filled by the Spirit. Are we going to be looking, first of all, in this first section at the letter to the Ephesians? We're going to be looking at these verses in chapter 5, but in a way surveying the whole uh, letter. And then this afternoon we're going to be looking at the book of Acts and what we learn there about being filled with uh, the Spirit. And as I said, I think this is vital, a vital need for the church today, for us to live distinctive lives that commend the gospel, and to be effective in mission with bold uh, evangelism. So come back, if you will, to um, Ephesians uh, chapter 5, verses uh, 15 to 21 that we had uh, read. And here we have one of the um, central commands of the uh, letter to the Ephesians. Paul was writing this letter to the Ephesian church, and here... In chapter 5 and verse 18, we come to one of the central commands of the letter. Paul writes in verse 18, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, 
be filled with the Spirit. And this is really the climax of a whole section in which Paul has been speaking about our need to be sanctified and transformed and renewed into the likeness of Christ. Paul in the letter has set out all of what Christ has done for us in the first part of the letter. And then in the second half of the letter, he speaks about how we should respond to what Christ has done for us uh, and and how we're to be transformed into uh, his uh, likeness. It's a letter that was written to encourage the church that found itself living in a hostile world. Paul wanted the Christians to remember who they were in Christ uh, and then to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. He reminds them that they're living in a hostile world. They find themselves in a spiritual battle. And in that context, what they need is the work of the Spirit. They need to be filled um, by the Holy Spirit. So what I want to do is to survey the letter in order to think about what Paul means by this command, that they are to be filled with the Spirit. So really two big points. The first is this. As Christians, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. When uh, Paul gives the uh, church this command in verse 18 that they're to be filled with the Spirit... He doesn't say this because the Christians in some way lack the Spirit or that they haven't been given the Spirit. Paul, through the letter to the Ephesians, is very clear. Every single Christian, every person who has believed and trusted in Christ has received from God the gift of his Spirit. In many ways, the letter to the Ephesians is a celebration of God's grace of the blessings and the gifts that he has given us. He's forgiven us our sins. He's raised us to new life in Christ. But he has also given us his Holy Spirit. And that theme permeates through the letter. So by the time we come to chapter 5, where Paul says to the Christians that they're to be filled with the Spirit, he's already established that they have received the Spirit. So come back with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Paul begins the letter to the Ephesians by just reminding the Christians of all the astonishing blessings that they've received in Christ. In chapter 1 he reminds them how they've been chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. How they've been adopted by God to sonship through Christ. How they've received the forgiveness of sins. Uh, how they've been um, redeemed through Christ's blood. How uh, God has revealed to them the uh, kind of uh, the mystery of his will and his good purpose. All these astonishing blessings that they have uh, in Christ. And the climax of those blessings is that they have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Have a look at chapter 1 and verses 13 and 14. And Paul says, and you, when you were included in Christ, when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. He says, when you believed, you received the Holy Spirit, who has marked you as belonging to God. In a sense, uh, your ownership uh, by God has now been made apparent by the gift of the Spirit to you. 
And the Spirit is a deposit or a foretaste of the glory to come. The Spirit is an anticipation of the new creation when we will be God in glory in his presence. The fact that we've got the Spirit now means that we can be absolutely sure that we will inherit the new creation when Jesus returns and puts everything right. Can you see what Paul's saying? He's saying to the Christians, you, when you believed, received the Spirit. You've been marked. You've got a deposit which guarantees uh, the future. Paul goes on to explain that this gift of the Spirit gives them access to God. Flick on to uh, chapter 2 and uh, verse 18. For through him, that's through Christ, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Here Paul is um, uh, speaking uh, about the way that Christ has reconciled both Jews and Gentiles uh, to each other, but also to God. And again, the climax is that because of the uh, gift of the Holy Spirit, Jews and Gentiles who've believed in Christ, both together have access to God the Father. Now in the uh, Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, it was only the Jews who had access to God. God had made his dwelling with them in uh, the temple. In actual fact, uh, it was only the high priest once a year who had access into the very presence of God who could go into the Holy of Holies. Most people uh, couldn't go into the temple. God had to be kept at a distance. But Paul says now, because of what Christ has done, every Christian has access to God the Father by the Spirit. See, God has come and made his dwelling with us. Paul explains here that uh, actually the church is a temple. Look at what he writes in verses 19 to 20. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The reason we have access to God is because God has uh, come and made his very dwelling uh, with us. We don't have to go to God. There isn't some physical place in which God is to be found because God is with us by his spirit. What an astonishing privilege that is. And can you see the point that Paul's making? He's saying you've got the spirit. God is present uh, with you. I think the vital point of that for us is this, is we must remember that despite the look and the feel, this is not a Christless world. This is not a Christless world. Yes, Jesus has returned to glory, he's ascended and he's ruling and reigning at the right hand of his Father, but he is present with his people by his Spirit. Christ is with his church. Where is Christ present in the world? The answer is he's present in his church, in his people. And in some ways that's the whole point that Jesus made uh, on the night before he was crucified. We can read it in, in John chapters 14 to 17. As Jesus prepared his disciples for his departure. He told them that he was going to go away. He was going to leave them. He was going to return to his father. But he also told them that he would not leave them as orphans. Because he would send them his spirit. 
quite strikingly, he told them that it was actually good for them that he was going to leave. Because they would receive his spirit, who was another counsellor who would be with them. This is not a Christless world, and Christ is not absent, because he is present with his people by his spirit. We've been uh, given the spirit. The spirit brings us access to God because we are his temple. The spirit has revealed to us the mystery of the gospel. That's um, uh, chapter 3 and verses uh, 2 to 6. Let me read those verses. Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by, by revelation. As I've already written briefly in reading this, then you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy people and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. See, the Holy Spirit who we have received has revealed God's plan of salvation to us in a way that it was not revealed in previous generations. God's plan to reconcile the whole of humanity together in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's revealed and declared uh, in the gospel by the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit that we've been given is also the basis for the unity of the church. Paul states that in uh, uh, chapter 4 verses 1 to 5. As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. See, Paul says the, uh, the church... All those people who've believed in the Lord Jesus Christ are one body. And they're made one body because they've been given the one spirit. And they're therefore to make every effort to maintain the unity that the spirit has brought about. That's a, a unity that breaks down barriers of uh, race, class, gender, uh, age, education. It eliminates all those human distinctions. And brings people together in the one body of the church. Paul goes on to say that um, there's a diversity of gifts that are given to uh, individuals within the church. But they all come from the same uh, one spirit. Do you get the point? The point that Paul's making is that uh, we have received the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. So by the time we get to chapter 5 and Paul urges the Christians to be filled with the Spirit, it's not because he thinks they haven't received the Spirit. The Spirit has been given uh, to them. And that means there's no place in the Christian life, there should be no place in the church for teaching that says that there are Christians who lack the Spirit. God gives his Spirit to everybody who has believed and trusted in Jesus and who is united uh, with uh, him. Filling is different to receiving. Filling is different to receiving. Filling, in a sense, is uh, sort of uh, enjoying more of the Spirit who has already been given to us. It's not because we lack something 
because God has given his spirit to his people. So we'll never understand what Paul means by being filled by the spirit unless we first grasp that in Christ we've been given the spirit. It's not that we need God to give us something that we haven't got. That's not the point. But notice from uh, chapter 5 that this filling with the Spirit is not just an individual and personal experience. Sometimes as Christians it's easy to become um, overly focused just on our own personal spiritual experience. When Paul speaks in chapter 5 about being filled with the Spirit, he's not just talking about individual Christian experience, he's talking about the life of the church. Uh, The uh, work of the Spirit flows out, as we've already seen, in the unity of the church, the uh, love of the church, the uh, ministry to one another within the life of the church. And that's true in chapter 5 as well, as being filled with the Spirit leads to speaking to one another, building one another up in Christ. This is something uh, corporate, not just uh, individual. So we have the Holy Spirit who is dwelling in us. But secondly, we need the Spirit to fill us. We need the Spirit to fill us. It's against that background of um, uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit to God's people that we can turn to Ephesians 5 verses 15 to 20 and Paul's command to the church to be filled up with the Spirit. We're already indwelt, but we need to be filled. And you see, Paul sees this as absolutely vital to living the Christian life. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is vital to being transformed into the likeness of Christ, which is what Paul has been speaking about uh, from uh, uh, chapter 4 and verse 17 onwards. In verse 17, he begins a new section, um, are urging that the, uh, the Gentiles, the new Christians, live in a new way because they've come to know Christ. And in order to do that, they need to be filled uh, with the Spirit. And they need to be filled with the Spirit in order to fight the spiritual battle of the Christian life. Chapter 6, Paul is going to go on and describe how as Christians we find ourselves living in a spiritual battle. We're fighting uh, against spiritual forces, not just human forces. We need to be clothed in the gospel armour that protects us. But we also need um, uh, the work of the Spirit. Chapter 6, verse 17, Paul says, Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. It's the uh, uh, kind of word of God in the power of the Spirit, which is the way that we take the battle to the enemy. So it's not surprising then in uh, chapter 6 and verse 18, Paul urges the uh, Christians to pray in the Spirit on all occasions. And particularly to pray for him as he engages in the work of evangelism. So we need to be filled with the Spirit in order to live the Christian life and in order to engage in the spiritual battle and do the work of gospel mission. But what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, Paul helps us here in verse 18 by drawing an analogy and a contrast. Verse 18, he says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled uh, with the Spirit. It's interesting that that's exactly the same analogy that's used, of course, on the day of Pentecost. And do you remember in um, Acts, the Spirit comes on the disciples and they're praising God. And what are they accused of being? They're accused of being drunk. 
on the day of uh, Pentecost. And Peter says, no, no, this is the work of God's spirit. Well, sometimes when a person who uh, has drunk too much alcohol and has in a sense been filled with alcohol, we might say that the way that they're behaving is because they are under the influence of uh, alcohol. Uh, we might say that the things that they're saying are it's the drink that's speaking. In a sense, when a, when a person is um, a drunk, they are controlled by the alcohol that they've drunk. That's what influences them, that's what determines their decisions, their behaviour, it's what determines their speaking. And that's really the point that Paul is making. You see, to be drunk is to be controlled by the influence of alcohol. So the contrast is this, to be filled with the Spirit is to be controlled by the influence of God's Spirit who is dwelling within us. It's to have all of our behaviour... All of our acting and all of our speaking controlled by God's spirit. In a way, it's similar to that very other New Testament language that's used to describe the work of the spirit. When we're told that we're to live by the spirit. Or in Galatians, we're to be led by the spirit. They're all works that describe influence and control. Our whole life is to be directed uh, by the work of God's spirit. Here in uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, the result of being filled with the spirit is that we speak gospel truth to one another as we praise God. The spirit speaks from us. So verse 19, we speak to one another with psalms, hymns, song from the spirit. We praise God, sing and make music from our hearts to uh, the Lord. Again, just notice this is corporate the result of being filled with the Spirit is that we speak to one another. We encourage one another by our praise of God and who he is and what he's done. Christian living is ultimately a team sport, not an individual event. And this um, being filled with the Spirit that Paul is speaking about here is not a one-off event. He's not saying that this is just something that happens at one particular moment. The implication here is that we need to be filled by the Spirit and keep on being filled by the Spirit. As we allow the Spirit of God who is dwelling within us to exercise control and influence over our lives. So what will it lead to? What will it lead to if we are filled by the Spirit in the way that Paul um, commands here? Well, it will lead to being uh, renewed into the image of Christ. It will lead to us being transformed into Christ's likeness. That's actually the whole goal of the Christian life. Yes, in Ephesians we discover that our sins have been forgiven, we've been raised to new spiritual life in Christ. But that's not quite the end of the story. God's whole purpose is to recreate us and remake us to be like Jesus. To regain the image of God that we had in creation but was lost by the fall. God's purpose is to save us so that we do the good works that he prepared in advance for us to do. We need to be transformed and renewed into the likeness of Christ. That will be the result of being filled with the Spirit. It, it will lead to right relating to others 
in the church. In chapter 4, the uh, overriding emphasis uh, has been on the way that we treat one another as God's people. That we love one another rather than hating and fighting and disagreeing. It will lead to radically transformed relationships. Because the church is meant to be a community of love. As people from diverse backgrounds are brought together and united in Christ. It will lead to restored relationships in the home and society. That's what Paul goes on to talk about in um, the uh, sort of second half of chapter 5. As he talks about how we're in our relationships to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives submitting to husbands and husbands loving their wives. Children obeying their parents and parents not exasperating their children but bringing them up in the knowledge of the Lord. Slaves, perhaps the equivalent for us of uh, kind of employees obeying their earthly masters and working well and wholeheartedly in their jobs. Masters, the equivalent of employers and bosses treating their slaves well. Being filled with the Spirit will lead to these restored relationships and it will lead to bold evangelism. Ephesians chapter 6, as we pray in the Spirit for a boldness to speak at the gospel message. And that's what we'll be thinking about much more uh, this afternoon when we look at the, the uh, book of Acts. So we need the Spirit to fill us. We need to be under his control, under, under his uh, influence in order to be transformed. So do you feel that there's something lacking in your Christian life? Do you feel that this is not the life that you're living? This is not the church community that you're experiencing? Well, it's not that you're lacking the spirit, because God has given his spirit to all of his people. But it may be that you're not living a life controlled by the spirit. That you're not filled by the spirit in the way that Paul says here. And it may be that what you need to hear is Paul's command, be filled by the Spirit. But that raises the uh, crucial question, doesn't it? How are we actually to obey this command? What does it actually mean in practice? What will it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Uh, And at one level this is quite complicated because... To be filled with the Spirit is kind of something passive. It's something that God does, not that we do. Notice that to be filled, it's not quite that you can fill yourself. This is not something that's actually in our control in that way. Paul doesn't say fill yourself. He says uh, be filled. This is something that God does. But it's not something in which we have no part to play. And uh, Ephesians would suggest there are two vital things that we need to do if we're to be those who are filled by the Spirit in the way that Paul um, uh, commands here. And the first of those is this. We must empty ourselves of sin. We must empty ourselves of sin. See, Paul here in verse 18 contrasts being filled with uh, wine as against being filled by the Spirit. Being filled with wine or being filled by the Spirit. Now you can't 
fill yourself with the Spirit, but you can fill yourself with other things. And if we're to be filled by the Spirit, we have an active part to play in that we have to empty ourselves in order that God can fill us. Actually, that's a whole dynamic that runs through this whole section of the letter to the Ephesians. The Christian life involves a both putting off and a putting on. We have to put some things off in order that other things can be put on in their place. So Paul says that we have to put off our old selves. We have to put off our old fallen nature which continues to be sinful in order that we can put on the new self in Christ. We need to, for example, put off kind of uh, wrong speaking. We need to um, uh, stop speaking in ways that are untruthful, in ways that are, are angry, in ways that are unwholesome, in order that we can start speaking well to uh, one another. Paul spoke about how we've got to put off sexual immorality in order to put on uh, purity. There's a putting off in order for there to be a putting on. And I said, unless we're doing that work of putting off the old self, the fallen self, unless we're emptying ourselves of sin and its control on us, then we won't be filled by the Spirit. We can't expect both at one and the same time. There needs to be an emptying in order that there can be a filling. You cannot expect that God will fill you with, your, with his Holy Spirit if at the same time you're seeking to indulge sin and allow sin to have control. It simply doesn't work like that. Uh, analogy might be a kind of clothes. If you're kind of, you know, getting dressed for a party or an event or something, it's not that you kind of just put your new clothes on over the grubby clothes that you've been wearing for doing the gardening. And since you can't have both at the same time, you have to put off in order to put on. You can't be filled with wine and also filled with the Spirit. Living the Christian life requires our active participation. We need to renounce sin, repent of sin, mortify sin, put it off in order that we can be filled with the spirit that God has given to us. We need to empty ourselves so that we can be filled. Is the problem in your Christian life perhaps that you're not emptying yourself? You're not putting off the old nature. Um, ultimately, you're not controlled and under the influence of the spirit because you're actually controlled and under the influence of something else. Maybe you're uh, controlled and under the influence of pornography. Maybe you're controlled and under the influence of materialism. Maybe you're uh, controlled and under the influence of greed. Maybe you're controlled and under the influence of an idolatry of your children and their success. Those are the things that fill you. And you wonder why the Spirit of God doesn't. There needs to be an emptying before there can be a filling. But secondly, we must pray to be filled. We must pray to be filled. 
Ultimately, it is God who filters. But we must pray that he would uh, fill us with his spirit. And again, that's been a key theme of the uh, letter to the Ephesians. Filling itself has been a major theme of this letter. Paul's great desire is that these Christians would be filled with Christ. That is the essence of Christian maturity. And Paul's longing is that they uh, would uh, be filled. And in fact, this is uh, the very thing that Paul has told the Ephesians that he's praying for, for them. Come back to uh, chapter 1. And uh, look at what Paul um, uh, prays in verses uh, 15 to 19 of chapter 1. Paul in his letters often tells the Christians he's writing to what it is he's praying for them. And the reason for that is because his prayers reveal what he thinks is most important for them. What you pray for yourself, what you pray for others, reveals what you really think is most important for yourself and for those you pray for. It's your priority. Well, listen to what it is that Paul is praying for the Ephesians. Verse 15 of chapter 1. For this reason, ever since I've heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus, your love for all God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayer. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Is what Paul's praying for? He's praying that God would give them the spirit of revelation so they'd understand their salvation more fully and the hope that they have. He wants them to be filled by the spirit that they've already received. Or uh, come with me to uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. In many ways, at the very heart of the letter, as it moves from Paul speaking about the blessings that we've received in Christ to speaking about how we're to live as those who have Christ, Paul prays for uh, the Ephesians. And just uh, notice what it is here, prays for. Verse 14, for this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family on heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. To know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Is that an extraordinary prayer? It's a prayer, really, that they would be filled by the Spirit. Look at verse uh, uh, sort of uh, 16 and 17 again. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That's uh, Paul's great concern for them. Verse 19. Wants them to know the full extent of the love of Christ so that they may be filled to all the measure of the fullness of God. 
That's what Paul is praying for for the Ephesians. That they'd be given a spirit of wisdom and revelation so they'd have power to grasp their salvation and the hope that they have. And he's praying that they'll be strengthened in their inner being by the Spirit so Christ will dwell in their hearts and they'll know the fullness of God. All the fullness of the measure of God. See, Paul is praying for the Ephesians that they might be filled with God by his Spirit. So when Paul comes in chapter 5 to a, a command the Ephesians that they're to be filled with the Spirit... They already know that that's the very thing he's praying for for them. The very thing that he longs for God to do in their lives. So what does it practically mean to be filled by the Spirit? What do we have to do? Well, on the one hand, we have to empty ourselves of all those other things that control and influence us. And then we need to pray that God in his mercy would fill us with his Spirit that we might be filled to all the fullness of God. I wonder if that's what you're praying for. Does that mark your prayers in your own personal quiet times? Does that mark your prayers when you gather together to pray as God's people? Does that mark your prayers as a church? Well, if you're anything like me or anything like our church, all too often our prayers are basically a shopping list of things that we want from God. Roughly translates as, Lord, please make our lives a little bit easier. Lord, please make our lives a little bit easier. Give me that job. Heal that sort of knee. Take away that illness. It's not that it's wrong to pray for those things. God cares about every aspect of our lives. But our great priority is the need to be filled with all the fullness of God. To be filled by his spirit. That's what we need to be praying for. So what do we learn? Well, I think we learn that we can't afford to neglect the spirit. The person and the work of the Spirit are not just for those who would identify as charismatics and pursue certain gifts. The gift of the Spirit is the great blessing of the new covenant. The the Spirit is not the privilege of just some believers. Yes, in the Old Testament, the the, uh, Spirit was only given to some believers, given to kings, given to prophets, given perhaps to craftsmen who were going to build the temple. But now the Spirit is given to all of God's people. In the Old Testament, um, uh, only the Jews had the temple and only the high priest could ever enter the temple one day of the year into the presence of God. But now we are the temple in whom God has come and made his dwelling by his spirit. The whole Christian life needs to be lived in the spirit. The Spirit has been given. We've been sealed as belonging to God. He's the deposit that guarantees our our, our inheritance. We have access to God our Father through him. Uh, He has revealed to us the uh, the gospel mystery of how God is going to save people from all nations. The Spirit is the foundation of our unity one with another. It's through the Spirit that we're sanctified and transformed into the likeness of Jesus. The Spirit is essential to fighting the spiritual battle we find ourselves in. And it's through the spirit that we do the work of evangelism. If we want to live the Christian life, 
then we need to be filled with the Spirit. We need to empty ourselves and we need to pray. And why is that so important? Well, it's so important because in a Christless world, we, the church, are essentially the shop window of the gospel. We are the shop window of the gospel. It isn't a Christless world because Christ is dwelling with his people. And actually the church is meant to be the radically transformed community that the world looks in on to see the reality of Christ and therefore to commend the gospel. If you're walking down a high street in the various shops, kind of windows displays are hugely important, aren't they? Kind of, if you walk past a, a shop with a great window display, you know, clothes that are kind of wonderfully sort of shown, it, it kind of attracts you to go in. If you walk down a, a shop and there's a sort of a really rubbish window, you're kind of probably likely to give it a mess, a miss. Uh, maybe a, a kind of a more contemporary analogy is kind of websites. I see this often in churches. People these days, they're looking for churches and they kind of go to the website first. Well, if the website is out of date, clunky, kind of only stock images or whatever, the fact is people aren't likely to go. Because that's your kind of, in a sense, your shop window. Well, we the church are meant to be the shop window of the gospel. And in order to be that, we need to be filled with um, the spirit. We are the place that Christ dwells. And the extraordinary plan of God is that he wants to manifest his wisdom to the earthly and the heavenly powers through the church, through his people. It's as we are transformed into the likeness of Christ. It's as we in the church demonstrate unity and diversity. It's as we in the church demonstrate what it means to be a community of true love. It's as we in the church demonstrate distinctive and transformed lives that people are attracted to the gospel and the Lord Jesus, who is the heart of the gospel message. In some senses, it is a Christless world. Because 97% of people don't know him. But if we want that to change, we need to be filled by the Spirit. Radically transformed lives and a radically transformed community that is the shop window to the world of the gospel. Are you prepared to empty yourself And pray that you will be filled so the gospel will be commended and that more and more people will come to know him. Well, we've been thinking about the the work of the Spirit in the church. We radically need those transformed communities. But we need more than that. That in itself is not enough because we need to go out and boldly proclaim the good news about the Lord Jesus. And that too is a consequence of being filled by the Spirit. And that's what we're going to be thinking about in our second session this afternoon as we come to look at the book of Acts. Two books to recommend to you.
if you've been struck by what's been said um, this morning. Um, if you want to think more about the work of the Holy Spirit, um, uh, I recommend uh, Graham Bynum's book, Experiencing the Spirit. It's a great guide to what the Bible teaches about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, really, really helpful. It's only six quid um, on uh, the bookstall. And if you want to read about how we need to be transformed into the likeness of the Lord Jesus, to be sanctified and develop um, holiness, I think a neglected area for many Christians today. Kevin DeYoung's book, The Whole in Our Holiness, is a great help. I'd urge you to buy one of those, take it home, read it, and it will do you spiritual good as you seek to be filled by the Spirit. Let's pray. Maybe let's just spend a moment quietly reflecting on what we've heard. Reflecting on our own lives. Maybe asking of ourselves, are we filled with the Spirit? Or are we filled with something else instead? Are we prepared to empty ourselves so that we might be filled? Are we praying that God would fill us with all of his fullness? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you and praise you so much for this letter to the Ephesians. Thank you that it reminds us so clearly of all of the astonishing blessings that we have in Christ. Thank you that uh, if we've trusted in him, we've been brought from death to life. Our sins have been forgiven. You've adopted us as your children. We have redemption through um, uh, the blood of the Lord Jesus. You've revealed your plan of salvation to us. And thank you that you've come and made your dwelling with us by your spirit. Thank you that you've marked us with him and we enjoy him as a deposit of the inheritance that lies ahead for us when the new creation is brought about. We thank you that through him we have access to you. We thank you and praise you for the unity that we have one with another because we've received the one spirit. But Father, we recognise our desperate need to be filled with the spirit. We confess before you how often in our lives we're controlled by other influences. And we ask and pray that you might help us to put those off. To empty ourselves. And we would ask and pray that you would fill us with your spirit. We ask and pray that that would result in us speaking to one another. Praising you, commending the gospel. We ask and pray that it would lead to us being transformed more and more into the likeness of the Lord Jesus. That it might lead to uh, transformed relationships with one another. That we might become a true community of love. That it might lead to restored relationships in the home and in society. That it might lead to uh, power in fighting the spiritual battle. We ask and pray for this because we long that the church and our individual churches might manifest your wisdom. And might be an attractive shop window for the gospel. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.